forgot to include this in the bulletin, uh, but our sermon this evening is a continuation of our series on the Belgic Confession. Uh, we've been walking through the Belgic Confession for over a year now, um, and this evening we are going to be reading from the Belgic Confession, Article 31, on page 849 of the Grey Psalter Hymnal, page 849. So I thought we could do this responsibly and just paragraph by paragraph. So I'll read the first paragraph and then we can do the second paragraph together. I'll read the third paragraph and then we can end with the fourth paragraph together. We believe that ministers of the word Elders and deacons ought to be chosen to their offices by a legitimate election of the church, with prayer in the name of the Lord, and in good order, as the word of God teaches. So everyone must be careful not to push himself forward improperly, but he must wait for God's call, so that he may be assured of his calling and be certain that he is chosen by the Lord. As for the ministers of the word, they all have the same power and authority, no matter where they may be, since they are all servants of Jesus Christ, the only universal bishop, and the only head of the church. Moreover, to keep God's holy order from being violated or despised, we say that everyone ought, as much as possible, to hold the ministers of the word and elders of the church in special esteem because of the work they do, and be at peace with them, without grumbling, quarreling, or fighting. The Belgic Confession. Our scripture reading this evening comes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews, chapter 13. Right toward the end of the Bible. And I'm going to be reading from verse 7 to verse 17. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 17. And as we prepare to read God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Well, Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that your word has guided your church through the millennia has guided this church for the past 70 years. And we pray that as we turn to your word now, that you would renew in us a conviction that we remain true to your gospel. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to us to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to everything that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more, we pray, image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may faithfully bear his image in the world. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 7. The Apostle writes, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, 
It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account Obey them, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Reverend Dr. Stephanie Paulzell is a professor of ministry studies at Harvard Divinity School. And this week I read an article that she wrote for the Christian Century titled, Practicing for the Society We Want. Reverend Paul Sell's article is in many ways about the recent wave of abuse scandals connected with the Me Too movement, but more specifically she looks at the phenomenon of men who were seen externally by society as strong advocates for women's rights and strong allies of women in the public sphere but who in their private lives perpetuated the same kind of abuse against women which they publicly condemned. Reverend Paul Sell, in looking at this phenomenon of people who say one thing and do another, said something in this article that captured, that captured me this week. She said that believing the right things is not enough. Simply understanding ourselves to believe in one thing or another will almost certainly not be enough to help us stay true to those beliefs, she writes. Inner personal conviction, she says, is not enough. If we are to remain faithful, we need more. We need community. An inner a lively inner life combined with life and community, both with those around us and those who live before us, will help keep us connected to our convictions, she says, and will help us develop practices that keep those commitments alive. If we are to remain faithful to our convictions, she says, we need community. We need connections with those around us and with those who came before us to guide and shape our practice as well as our belief. This stuck with me this week as I prepared for the sermon this evening because of Reverend Paul Sell's emphasis on the need for connection with the community both around us and with those 
who came before. Reverend Paul Sell challenges us to remember those who came before. Reverend Paul Sell calls us to remember our history, or as the apostle to the Hebrews might have put it, to remember our leaders who taught us the faith. As we've already heard this evening, 70 years ago, on Sunday, July 11, 1948, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Reverend Garrett Vanderseel of Chatham and Reverend Charles Spoolhoff of Lodi, New Jersey, led a special worship service at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church here in Kitchener to organize, officially organize, the first Christian Reformed Church of Kitchener as an established church in the Christian Reformed denomination with 14 families and four single members. In that service, and I have the order of service here in this handy-dandy little book with handwritten song numbers accompanying the singing of the psalms. In this service, this small group of Dutch immigrants met together to sing the psalms, to recite the Apostles' Creed, to hear the preaching of God's word, and to elect its first council. After the sermon by Reverend Spoolhoff, the congregation elected two elders, Mr. Damsma and Mr. Wiebinga, and two deacons, Mr. Duhlman and Mr. Dehan, who, together with the pastor, would serve as the newly formed church's council. All in one service, all in one service. Can you imagine? This is a process that takes us six months now. All in one service. Nominations were taken, an election was held, and the new office bearers were ordained and installed for their terms of service by signing the form of subscription right there in front of everybody, promising to uphold the word of God, to defend the confessions, and to faithfully lead the church that God had gathered together here in Kitchener. Electing elders and deacons might seem like an odd and business-minded way to celebrate a church's first service together as an organized church. But in the Christian Reformed Church, that is how a church becomes organized. It's how a church moves from the status of an immersion church or a church plant to an established church or an organized congregation. The, a church is established by establishing a council a body of elected office bearers, elders, deacons, and ministers of the word, who together oversee the life, doctrine, and governance of the church. Leaders who care for the body of Christ and call it always to serve God faithfully, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, to practice what they believe. The leaders of the church call us not only to faithful teaching, but to faithful practices that confirm what we believe. The Belgian Confession, which we read, written over 500 years ago, also makes a big deal out of the kind of leadership that God requires. We've been studying the Belgian Confession for over a year now, but pretty much the last month, we've been looking at the governance of the church what kind of leadership there ought to be, what kinds of things those leaders ought to do. Two weeks ago in our last evening service, we looked at what kind of leadership there ought to be in the church, 
And in the weeks before that, we looked at the kinds of marks that characterize a true church that submits to the word of God. How should the church live? What should the church do? What kinds of leaders should the church have? And how should they lead? The apostle in the letter to the Hebrews is likewise concerned with leadership in the church. He exhorts the believers in the Jerusalem church and in every church to remember your leaders who spoke God's message to you. Reflect on the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The apostle warns the church of strange teachings, of strange rituals, of ceremonial foods, of the temptation to remain where we are comfortable. Because the leaders of the church following Jesus sometimes lead the church of God outside the camp, outside the city, to where Christ is, to minister to the poor, the outcasts, the marginalized, and the foreigners. And so the apostle encourages us to follow our leaders faithfully as they follow our Lord. The concerns of the apostle here in the letter to the Hebrews might seem odd to us. The concerns of the Belgian Confession in Article 31 might seem odd to us too. The Belgian Confession emphasizes a few very specific things. Leaders in the church should be legitimately elected by the congregation. Guido de Frey writes, leaders should be called by God in the church, not pursuing power for their own benefit. Leaders in the church should all have the same authority. Ministers are all equal no matter where they serve, and by extension, elders and deacons too are equal in their authority to the minister. And the people of God ought to hold their leaders in special esteem, to honor them, to be at peace with them, to make their work joyful and not burdensome. All of these things in the Belgian Confession address abuses of leadership in the time of the Reformation, when leaders were not elected but appointed, when ministers were held in higher esteem and given greater authority if they served a big church in a big city, when people campaigned for positions of leadership in the church because with these positions came great power in society. And so the reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Guido de Bray, and others, rightly fought against these abuses and attempted to restore equality and good order in the church because they felt that the way that the church in their time was exercising its leadership was not only harmful to the practice of the gospel, but even to the teaching. But both the apostle and the author of the Belgian Confession emphasize one thing most of all. Remember your leaders. Honor them, respect them, listen to them, submit to them. And the apostle in this passage from Hebrews helps us, I think, understand why. Because even though the culture around us may change, even though all sorts of strange teachings may come and go, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Change is something that this congregation knows well. One of the things that I think is 
one of this congregation's great strengths is its ability to adapt to changing cultural circumstances, to changing ministry environments. In many ways, the first CRC of Kitchener's organizing service was similar to the services that we hold each Sunday. The congregation sang songs, offered prayers, recited the creeds, read scripture, heard a sermon. But in other ways, it was very different. Seventy years ago, the church sang only psalms, and it sang them in Dutch. Seventy years ago, the church elected elders and deacons by popular vote, not by the drawing of lots. Seventy years ago, the church elected only men to ordained office, and only men were allowed to vote for those men. Through the years, things have changed. You know, another thing that's changed is that in 1940, I don't, this is off topic, in 1948, the Toronto Maple Leafs won their seventh Stanley Cup. Things have changed. Throughout the years, the church has gone through many changes. Programs have begun and ended. Staff positions have begun and ended. Ministries have come and gone. Ministers have come and gone, serving faithfully until they were called to serve elsewhere. The church opened the vote to women in 1958. The church opened ordained offices to women in the early 2000s. Many things have changed. But perhaps the greatest change this church has gone through has been growth. This church has been blessed, incredibly blessed, with incredible growth. From 14 families in 1948 to over 300 families today. From, from around 50 members worshiping on Sunday mornings to around 900. This church has served as the mother church for three church plants, for Gulf CRC, which is now Maranatha CRC in Cambridge, for Waterloo CRC, for The Journey here in Kitchener. And this church has served as a supporting church for half a dozen more church plants. Each time, people were afraid that the church would never bounce back, but it always did. And now we have 12 communities scattered throughout the greater Waterloo region doing ministry in their neighborhoods and discerning where God is leading them as communities to minister in their local neighborhoods, communities, and towns. We have been richly blessed. But we are faced, as we always are, with the question of what kind of a church we want to be. The church is always changing, not because the gospel is always changing, but because people are always changing. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Jesus meets us where we are. And where we are is always different. Where we are now is different than we were, where we were 70 years ago. And that is why leadership is so important in the church. That is why leadership in the church is such an important thing to the author of the Belgian Confession 
who is going through major societal changes in the 16th century. That's why leadership in the church is such an important thing to the author of the letter to the Hebrews, the church of which is going through major changes in Jerusalem and in the culture there. Leadership in the church is important because in all of its various contexts, ever-changing contexts, the church is called to witness to the never-changing, ever-faithful promises of God in Christ. We are called and gathered from the ends of the earth to proclaim the mighty acts of God, that in Christ he has conquered death, he has forgiven our sins, and he is preparing us for the day when he comes again and his kingdom will fully come on earth as it is in heaven. This is our hope. And it is for this that we live and strive every day of our lives. And this is where leadership is so fundamental to the church of God. Because it is through the leaders of the church, through the elders, to the deacons, ministers, that God forms and shapes the practices of his church, forms and shapes our practice to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Reverend Dr. Stephanie Paulzell calls us to remember our history, to be in conversation with our leaders both present and past. The apostle likewise calls us to remember our leaders so that in the ever-changing landscape of our culture, we might stand firm on the unchanging faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Our Lord has called and equipped leaders for 70 years who have faithfully served this congregation. Whatever the next 70 years may hold, let us remember them and give thanks for them praising God the Father for blessing us with faithful leaders. I want to, in honor of being in conversation with leaders both present and past, I wanted to close the sermon by reading some reflections that uh, Reverend Kuntz wrote down on the occasion of the 40th anniversary of this church. These are written in 1988 by Reverend, is it Jacob? Reverend Jacob Kuntz. <clears throat> Reverend Kuntz writes, What is ahead for our church during the next 40 years? Imagine another 40 years and it will be 2028 if the Lord tarries. That's 10 years from now, 2028. What kind of world will it be then? What will be the place of Kitchener CRC in it? It would not be wise to make long-term predictions concerning our future. We do not know how things will be going in the coming years. It is true for the church what is true for us personally. A man's mind plans his road, but the Lord directs his steps. We do know that the future of the church is guaranteed by Christ, the King of the church. That can give us some rest. The church is in good hands. A few things can be said. First, as far as quantity is concerned, 
If the recent history of our church is any indication, then we may expect that our congregation will keep growing. The remark has been made that by the end of this century, he's talking about the end of the, the, the 90s, I guess. By the end of this century, our area will be one of the big new metropolises of Canada. Looking at the industrial expansion and the enormous, enormous growth of the city, I tend to agree. Consequently, we can predict that more people will settle down in this region. It is God's favor when a church grows, but his favor is always our challenge. In the years to come, we have to come to grips with the question of how we want to handle the situation and what will be best for the problems created by the increase in membership. In a large city like Kitchener, there should be room for two or even three Christian Reformed churches. When will it be time to establish another congregation that will preserve and spread the reformed traditions of the Christian faith. This brings us to the matter of quality. What kind of church will the church of the future be? Will it not only be a Christian church, but also a Christian reformed church? This is an age in which we try to get rid of the finer distinctions. Our time prefers a general kind of Christianity. Yes, even a generalized spirituality without all the, special, the specialties and specificities of the past. What will happen to the heritage that has been passed on to us from the 16th century and that led to the establishment of our denomination? Will we preserve it? Will we be prepared to bring the Reformed faith into practice in the realities of the 20th and 21st century? Will our children and grandchildren stand on guard for what the Lord has entrusted to us so that also our congregation can justly keep its full name, Christian Reformed Church? The temptation will be strong to throw that heritage away. The new generation will face a challenging situation. Much will depend on their perseverance, their faithfulness, their dedication, and their involvement. Let us hope and pray that our sons and daughters will be prepared to take over the torch from the older generation that kept this church going for the first 40 years, and that they will carry the flame of faith into a new time in which things will change, but in which Jesus Christ will remain the same. God continue to bless his church with faithful leaders who help us follow Jesus, who does not change wherever he may lead us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.